So we jump now into this uh, shortened sermon before we get to uh, a few words about the state of our church uh, in these days. Um, 2015, as we said last week, uh, strategically for us is, is mostly about how do we make evangelism and discipleship normal and natural in our context? How do we, New Community Covenant Church, make discipleship and evangelism normal and natural as a church in 2015? And so we've structured our priorities, our budget around those those uh, those priorities. If you didn't get the strategic plan last year or last week, it's available for you on a yellow sheet of paper, and I'd ask you to pick that up on your way out uh, this morning. We said last week that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is scatter the church for mission, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit scatters you individually, but also how corporately we're scattered, and that's why we took a chunk of our service last week to hear from the principal of Jackie Robinson. Wasn't that great to have her here with us? Was it eye-opening to any of you to hear sort of the, the, the struggles and the challenges that they face at that, at that school? We're scattered as a church to step into the walls at Jackie Robinson, receiving their invitation to participate in the good work that God is doing there. Uh, what I want us to focus on for the next few minutes is that the Holy Spirit, just as the Spirit scatters us for mission, the Holy Spirit also gathers us for worship. The Holy Spirit gathers us for worship. And both of these, the scattering for mission and the gathering for worship, are both tied to our strategic plan of evangelism and discipleship. Both of these things need to be at work in our lives. It's maybe easier to think about how scattering relates to evangelism. right? We think about being sent to pursue God's mission in the world. When we gather, we are responding to, to our mandate to worship the triune God. And so we can think, well, that, that's, that's what we do. That's what Christian people do. That's what people who are members of new community, that's what we, we gather. How does that relate to outreach, to evangelism, to discipleship? Well, the thing is, is that whenever the church gathers for worship, we are gathering as a radically hospitable people. We don't gather as an exclusive club. You'll notice that, that our hospitality team is not standing at the door checking your Christian ID card. Right? The, the, the doors of the church are always meant to be thrown wide open. And of course, it is the time that the church gathers, but what makes the church unique, what makes the church in, in opposition to a social club or a clique is that everybody is welcome. Amen? And so gathering, just like scattering, is very much related to our explicit mandate this year to make outreach normal and natural as a church. And that's what we see in this passage at Pentecost. This Holy Spirit has gathered the church, and through God's power and through the the gift of tongues and languages, the gospel is proclaimed in Jerusalem during that festival, and many were added to the fellowship of Believers, it's a gathering of the church that is hospitable to those outside of the church, and together they encounter God. The passage goes on, as Marvin read into the, 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 the uh, verse 42 through 47, the church continues to gather on a regular basis, and this regular gathering, these were maybe like small groups that met in the temple, this regular gathering was also open to those who who didn't know who Jesus was. The text tells us that on a daily basis, people were saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Among the gathered believers were clearly people who didn't yet know Jesus. That was normal and natural for the early church. And so our gathering for worship, what we're doing today, is a powerful way through which God draws people to himself. Amen? 
So here's how I'm going to fill this in. I'm going to give you two reasons why we gather. I'm going to give you two barriers to gathering, two things that keep us from gathering, and then two results of gathering, two things that we can expect uh, when we gather regularly. There's clearly lots more than two of each of these that we could talk about. We're keeping it short and sweet this morning. Two reasons that we gather. We gather because of our identity, because of who we are. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to go to church. You will not find any language in the Bible, no matter how hard you look, about going to church. I did a little bit of just kind of online uh, searching this week around this language of going to church. I found a whole list of articles and books. Here's just a few that I found. Titles of articles or books about going to church. Why I stopped going to church. Ten reasons America has stopped going to church. Why nobody wants to go to church anymore. Eight ways to stop going to church without anyone noticing. That is a real thing. You can find that. Uh, Here's another one. Everyone is going to stop going to church. And this one, how I've grown close to God without going to church. Right? Are you seeing a theme here? So, so the problem with this language, of course, is it's very unbiblical. There's no language in the Bible about going to church. The idea of going to church for the early church would have just been, just wouldn't have computed. It wouldn't have made much sense at all. Church is not a place where you go. Church, on the other hand, at least how the Bible talks about it, is who we are. Church is the community to which we belong. And so Peter tries to get at this from a few different angles in his uh, letter, 1 Peter, in chapters 2, 9, and 10. Here's what he says. But you are a chosen people, but you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What does Peter say? You're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, a people where there once was no people. You see, this is language about who we are, not where we go, who we are. Our identity now as God's people, we don't go to church. The church gathers for worship. You see the difference? We don't go to church, we gather for worship. And so we gather as a church as a normal expression of our identity, even on days when we wake up to this sort of surprising, and for some of you, deeply discouraging weather. We gather together as the people of God. This is who we are. And as we see in Acts, that gathering is meant to include our neighbors who remain unsure about our identity as God's people, who remain unsure about the one who we worship as Lord. Those friends and neighbors and family members are meant to feel welcomed in our gathering as well. We invite them, we bring them to our gathering. Why? Because this is who we are. It's what we do. So this is the first reason. It's an identity reason. We gather because this is who we are. Second reason, there's an eschatological reason. Say eschatological. (laughs) Not scatological. That is a different thing having to do with other materials. Eschatology is the, the theology of 
the end, of where God is bringing all things. There's an eschatological reason. There is a reason that points forward. We gather because of our future hope. We gather because of our future hope. The Bible is filled with images of God's gathering all humanity to himself. Jesus uses metaphors of a banquet, of a worship service, of an extravagant party that's thrown open to the entire city of a final judgment when all is made right. So Jesus is recorded in Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's speaking of himself, pointing forward to the future, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. The image is of a final in righteous judgment, when all that is wrong is made right. When we gather, when we sing songs of praise and gratitude to God, we are pointing to the future. When we gather with the sorrows and the weights of the weeks and the years on our shoulders, and when we lay those down at the cross, we are pointing to the future. When we sit under the proclaimed gospel of God's good kingdom and hear news that is almost too good to be true if it were not for the empty cross, we are pointing to the future. When we bring thirsty friends and searching neighbors to our gathering, we are pointing them to the future. When we hear the ancient words, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, we are pointing to the future. When we sit around portable tables in a nondescript gym and feast together on potluck food, we are pointing to the future. Our gathering, what happens here, bears witness to where God is taking all things. Our friends and our neighbors are meant to gather with us and get a glimpse of God's hopeful and perfect future. Amen? Amen. Not a perfect glimpse, of course, but a glimpse, a sense of something different and distinct and beautiful and hopeful of a God who is making all things right in Jesus. So we gather because this is who we are, and we gather because of our future hope, a future hope that our neighbors are meant to see in us. But we don't always gather, despite many good reasons to gather. Many of us who identify as Christians, we we don't gather regularly. And many of us don't regularly welcome our friends and our neighbors to gather with us. There are good reasons why so many people have written the same tired article and book about not going to church. There are barriers to our gathering. Briefly, here are Two, for us to consider. First, we forget why the church exists. We live in a consumer-type culture, a, a culture that focuses highly on the individual, and so it is very easy for us to slide into the assumption that church is meant to meet my needs. So many times I've had people tell me, I don't go to that church anymore, I don't go to church anymore because... I just wasn't being fed. My six-month-old son needs to be fed. 
I expect my five-year-old son to feed himself. We forget why the church exists. And so we get very comfortable with how things are. We get comfortable with who's in the room. We forget about who's not in the room. And so when we forget the purpose of church, our identity, our pointing forward to the future, then we start going to church rather than gathering with the church. And we don't any longer see the people around us who we could welcome, which leads to the second barrier. We assume that we don't have a gathering role. Different ones of us assume that, that I, I don't. That's something maybe our pastors do or our gifted evangelists do. They welcome, they gather, they bring, but not me. We stop seeing those in front of us. Jesus promised us something interesting. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I think we've switched that. I think we, we assume well, we got plenty of workers. The, the harvest just isn't that big. There's just not that many people in my life who actually would like to know about what God has done in my life. We don't see a, a ripe and plentiful harvest. And yet the promise is that in your life, the harvest is ripe, plentiful. I don't think it's any stretch at all to say that every single one of us has individuals, family members, friends, neighbors in our life whom God is at work in. Do you see? Do you see what God is doing? We encouraged the church uh, leading up to Christmas to invite friends and family members who are not in a church, who maybe don't know Christ, to come and be with us at our, our service. And I reached out to uh, a neighbor of, of mine in, in, our, in our neighborhood a guy I knew years ago, and then he ended up living in the same neighborhood I do, and went back and forth, and he was interested in coming, and then he had to work that day. He, he works a weekend job, and so he wasn't able to get away. And you know what I did after that? Nothing. That dude has not heard from me since a couple weeks before Christmas. I didn't see him anymore. Why? Why is that? Do I assume that God is at work in the lives of those around me, or do I not? I, I kind of got convicted when I was writing the sermons. I, was like, I hit him up on Twitter. I was like, hey, <laughs> worst pastor ever. So we're having lunch on Monday, so you can pray for us. Having, having lunch on, on Monday. We forget why the church exists. We assume that we don't have a gathering role. And here's a, a unique piece, I think, for our church. We are called to love our neighbors in Bronzeville. Some of us live right here in Bronzeville. Other of us come from a little ways away. So that's a unique challenge for us, right? And I, and I think this is one of the ways in which we don't really see those whom God has put in our lives. God has put literal neighbors in the life of this church, people who live around us. We, we got to see that and taste that last week with the visit of the principal, right? And so, and so here is a reality for some of us, is that because we're not present in Bronzeville, we don't see the literal neighbors who we might have a role in bringing and gathering. Am I making sense? 
And so we do our best as a church to kind of open up opportunities for that, ways of being present through a a service project or praying uh, in the neighborhood or partnerships with the school. The, The question is just, do you find ways to show up to those things so that you can begin to see the people who God has placed in the life of this church who we can play a role in gathering? Does that make sense? So reasons to gather, barriers to gathering, Here's the last one. Things we can expect as we gather with the Holy Spirit. Two results of our gathering. Just like with the the scattering of the church, the only way that the church actually gathers is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who gathers this sort of eclectic group of people coming from radically different backgrounds and histories and locations and gathers this group into the room together to worship our God. It's the Holy Spirit who does this, and so we can expect there to be fruit from our gathering. Does that make sense? And we can look at us in the room and say, clearly the Holy Spirit is at work here, but our God is so good that we can expect that there will be tangible results and fruits of our gathering. So here's a couple of those. First. We can expect to encounter God when we gather. I love some of the songs we sang this morning. I love Pastor Michelle's prayer because these things pointed us in this direction. Can you encounter God on your own? Yes. Absolutely. Of course. It's our prayer that during this Lenten season, you will be encountering God on your own. You will be hearing God's word specifically for your life. But if our identity is now found within the community of God's people, then it's only logical that we can only encounter God in certain ways when we are gathered with his people. This is what Jesus, I think, is getting after in Matthew 18. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Theologian Paul Lewis Metzger, he he talks about it this way. I think we have this quote. While an individual can worship God while alone, such a worshiper simply cannot experience the presence of God to the fullness in which he is encountered in the gathered church. For God desires to be worshipped as he dwells in the midst of his people. Pause. It has always been like that. Read through the Old Testament and you will see that God is always worshipped and always is meant to be worshipped and encountered in the gathered people of God. Only as believers share with one another their individual union with Christ, it's only as I bring my encounter with Christ and Rodney brings his encounter with Christ and John brings his encounter with Christ and Joe brings his encounter with Christ. Only as believers share with one another their individual union with Christ can the presence of God in Christ be experienced in its earthly fullness. You can expect to encounter God when the church gathers for worship. Which, by the way, is another reason that we welcome our friends and neighbors into our gathering. That person in your life who's asking questions about what you believe, they don't just need more information. They don't just need you to give them an airtight, waterproof, logical argument about why God exists. Do you know what they need? They need to encounter God. They need God to encounter them. 
and bring them to the end of their logic. They can say, I tasted and I saw the goodness of God. We gather in anticipation of encountering God. It's not an encounter we can predict or control. We're talking about God. So you may walk out of here on some Sundays and go, You don't get to control what happens when you encounter God. You may come in saying, I need a word of encouragement today, and instead find yourself flat on your face in repentance. That's a sign that you've encountered God and not just your version of God. But it's an encounter that we need. We need to know this God. We need to encounter this God. And the beautiful and baffling reality is that this is an encounter that God wants. That God desires. That God has moved heaven and earth in order for you to experience. Amen? Amen. You can expect to encounter God. And then finally, we can expect to be equipped for mission. Let me read this quote from Roberta Green. Amundsen, an author, theologian. From the 4th century on, Christians understood their churches to be outposts, embassies of the new Jerusalem on earth. Their physical beauty and glory was offered to God in praise and their communities to give a vision of the homeland, the new Jerusalem scheduled for the end of time. On Sunday, Christians worshipped on home territory. I love that. Sunday's We, for a few hours, get to worship on home territory. We've marked out a space in the midst of God's coming kingdom that's not here yet in its fullness. And we say, here, for these few hours, we are going to make clear and plain that Jesus is Lord. We get to exist in this space and worship in this space. There they were refreshed and restored. There they learned the principles of the new Jerusalem. There they learned God's structure for a healthy culture, a healthy world. When they left, they sought to put these principles into practice. They built almshouses. There's some kind of archaic language here. They built almshouses for the poor, hospitals for the sick, schools for the ignorant, and beautiful churches filled with art and music to bear witness to the glory and the beauty of God and our eventual home that pointing forward to the future peace. The church gathers and is equipped and encouraged for mission. That gathering and scattering that we're talking about, clearly these things feed into one another. As a result of our gathering, you are meant to return to your neighborhood. You're meant to return to your workplace and to your family renewed, encouraged, with the conviction of the Spirit's power in your life with the conviction of the Son of God's friendship with you, with the conviction of the Father's sovereignty over everything. You should return to the world reminded of the spiritual resources at your disposal. You should return with an increasing passion for your friends and for your neighbors that they would come to know and worship your Savior. You should return with a renewed vision for God's coming 
kingdom. It gets fuzzy for us throughout the week. We, we miss it. We don't see how God's kingdom is breaking into our world. We kind of get hazy in our eyes of faith, and we miss the, the mustard seeds of God's kingdom that are being planted all around us. But when we step out of the gathered and worshiping people of God, it's meant to be like our eyes have been opened again, and we go, I can see it now. I can see where God's at work in my classroom. I was missing it. In my neighborhood, I, was, I missed it before. In my marriage, I missed it before. But I can see, I've been reminded, God is at work. His kingdom is coming. We are meant to, we can expect to encounter God. We will be equipped for God's mission in the world. 2015 is about making evangelism and discipleship normal and natural. As the Holy Spirit gathers us, we will be intentional about inviting friends and neighbors. The question, and this will lead me here to talk about just our church in general, the question is, how, how is the health and the vitality of the community to which we are inviting people? How, how are we doing at gathering friends and neighbors? What is the state of this church community. And so that's what I want to spend uh, the last um, minutes of my time on. Let me pray first. And so God, uh, thank you for being a gathering and a scattering God. Thank you for the expectation, not, not, not simply wishful thinking, but the expectation that we gather to encounter you. And so I pray now for sisters and brothers who are Uh, thirsty and hungry for an encounter with you, uh, who need to be upended and reoriented and and encouraged in profound and deep ways, God, would would you reveal yourself again and afresh today? God, would you allow this gathering more and more to reflect your deep love and passion for this neighborhood, for our friends, for our neighbors? Would, Would the way in which we welcome and intentionally invite be proof positive that there is a God who is searching and seeking for the lost coin, for the, for the lost sheep. That there is a God who would literally let nothing stand in the way of his reconnecting with his people. So let the way that we together um, are hospitable and gather and worship and uh, see our guests be evidence not of a church that needs to grow, not of a church that just wants more people, not of a church that's trying to fill up a certain budget or seats and chairs, but of a people who really, really, really want to show the world what God is like. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, So again, this is a bit of a different Sunday for us. Um, um, Typically, uh, you know, would, would not be taking time to do this, but again, just on occasional a basis is we like to just take the, the, the temperature of how uh, things are going at the church and just kind of uh, bring you up to speed on some things. So if you're a guest this morning, um, uh, listen in, get a sense if this is the sort of community that you would be uh, called to participate in, and then church, please uh, uh, think carefully and, and prayerfully about some things that we're talking about. Uh, so again, I'm trying to ask us to consider what's the state of this community that we're gathering and inviting people to. 
Are we, are we engaging in the ways that God has called us to? There's lots of things that we could look at uh, for the next few minutes. I've chosen sort of five uh, headings for us. The first is prayer, and then finances, community presence, children and youth, and then hospitality. And we'll go relatively quickly through these, and I'm going to get some help uh, from Zach here in a couple minutes as we look at, at the financial uh, side of this. So again, just think of these as different categories, ways of checking in to how we're doing as a church and our faithfulness to God's call on our lives. Amen? You need a stretch break or anything? Are you okay? All right? Everybody okay? okay. All right. First, uh, first category, prayer. Uh, um, I, I want to just say thank you, church, for being a praying church. I really mean that. Um, there was a, a season early on where I just kind of felt like I was beating my head against the wall, just not knowing how to urge our church uh, deeper into prayer. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, just shut up about prayer. Just do not talk about it. Do not preach about it. Do not make anybody feel guilty about not praying. Pray instead. Oh, that's a novel idea. (laughs) Again, not a great pastor many times. And I did, and it's just been so amazing to watch God raise up people with a passion not just to pray as individuals, but a passion to equip this church to pray. And I thank God for that. So here's some of the things that I'm loving about the prayer life of our church right now. I don't know how many people were in our prayer circle before the service this morning. Pastor Michelle, 10, 12, 15 people. Part of that's because we had the choir this morning. Um, but it's been great to see that circle just expanding on a regular basis. About 10 minutes before the service, we pray for the service. Everybody is welcome during that time. And to just see a group of people go in together asking God to do big Uh, important, powerful, miraculous things that we can't do on our own has been amazing. Uh, And and I'm super thankful for that and want to welcome you to that. Uh, Great to see our prayer ministers available after every service during our closing worship set. And I love seeing you take advantage of their call and their ministry. Praying about finances, praying uh, for healing and, and bodies, praying for a specific word of wisdom or knowledge when someone's kind of coming up against a brick wall and watching the Holy Spirit answer those prayers. Uh, There's some testimonies that I want you to hear uh, uh, soon. I can't share them with you yet, but God is active. God is at work. God is answering prayers. There are people working who were not working before. There are people paying rent who didn't know how they would pay their rent before. There are relationships that are being reconciled that were on the border of disintegrating before. God is answering prayer in our church. Amen? So I thank God for that. Uh, Our quarterly prayer meetings, um, Dennis and the team have been doing such a good job. Please come out for those when we schedule those times. We now have been on these streets on the first Saturday of the month for 31 months in a row. That's cool, right? I'm so thankful for that. And we have been out there in some different kind of weather, um, in the heat, in the humidity, in the sleet, in the wind, all of the above. There's always been, I have, I, I kind of thought when we started this that there would be some times where I would be out there all by myself. Never happened. It's never happened. There was one time when I thought I was out there by myself because it was so cold, I started walking kind of early, and then later I found out there was like five people who came behind. <laughs> like, where, where's Pastor David? I guess he didn't show up today. Uh, I love that, though, about, about this church, that we see the importance of praying together, visibly, publicly, and we're watching God answer prayers through that as well. We prayed fervently that Jackie Robinson School would not be closed. It probably should have been closed uh, if you just looked at the odds, and it wasn't. 
It wasn't closed. We prayed that God would raise up a new principal who would care about our church and be interested in our church, and we watched that answer to prayer on Sunday. And on and on it goes, and we could talk about more things there. God is answering prayer. God is at work, and I'm deeply and profoundly thankful for that. If I could push you, it's to say, if you're not kind of experiencing that, that, that renewed vigor for prayer personally, just get around some people who are praying in your community group, at the prayer meeting, at Pat's, after the service, before the service. Be with people who are praying. Don't feel like you've got to conjure that up on your own, like you've got to figure that out on your own. Just be with people who are praying. Let them pray for you. Being in the, be in the presence of those who are coming. Does that make sense to you? That, that's a step, okay? So prayer, prayer, that's one, that's one thing I want us to pay attention to. Uh, second is, is finances. And uh, I'm going to invite Zach to come up now. And we want to just do two things um, here. We want to kind of let you know how we... Um, I think I can do this. We want to let you know sort of how we ended the year. Um, and let me say this. Last year was the first 12-month period that our church was sort of uh, completely financially independent. As a young church, we're not quite five years old yet. As a church plant, we received uh, some funding from our denomination. That was very helpful. 2014 was the first 12-month period that we were kind of doing it on our own. And so we were figuring a lot of stuff out. Our leadership team did a great job leading us through that. Uh, But it was also a period of kind of growing up together, right? And so uh, come the last quarter of the year, we were talking a lot about what some of our uh, end-of-year giving goals were. And so Zach's going to start with that, yeah? And then we'll talk a little bit about what 2015 is looking like. All right, so... Okay, so um, we just wanted to give an update, as David said, in terms of how we ended the year. So just as a reminder in terms of where we're at, um, our average giving for the first nine months was around $9,700. And so that was um, a few thousand dollars below what our monthly giving was. So every month we were coming in kind of below what our expenses for the month was. And so, um, but if you look at the the average giving for the final three months, that actually was um, close to 15000 almost $700, so almost an increase of $6,000 per month in, in giving. So um, That's where you say something. Yes. So. That's a big deal. That's a really, really big deal. Sorry, I just got, no, I just got kind of like, I got help, help okay. out here a little bit. So, yeah, so. I'll be like the applause. Right. We're like, okay. Thank you, thank you. So what that meant was, in, in relation to the goals that David talked about, was that kind of helped us replenish the funds that we had used those first nine months of the year. So basically the... the when we had to dip into our account and kind of cover the expenses the first nine months, this helped us get into a healthier place heading into 2015. And so um, if we do have shortfalls through the year this year, we've got some buffer there to cover that. So thanks again to everyone who responded. Um, so as we look at 2015, um, if, if, if you recall, so we went into the year that this is the first year we've done this, but basically with two budgets. And so one is kind of a conservative budget, and one was more of our what we've called our ideal budget. And so um, what we wanted to do was basically for the first couple months of the year, just look at how giving relates to those two budgets um, and kind of see how we're doing monthly um, against those two. And so we've, we've started the year on the conservative budget, but what we'd like to do is kind of in, in early March to make the decision, are there some things we can add back into that budget um, based on what we're seeing with the monthly giving? And so for January, um, our giving was 10450 um, which is, if you look at the bottom of the slide here, it's about 1000 less than um, the conservative budget, and then it's about 3700 less than the ideal budget. And so, um, so that's where we are in January, and then we'll take a look at this again in um, early March to see how February ended up, and then we'll make some final decisions about what the budget will look like for the year. So 
Any questions on that so far? Okay. Man, can you just go back to that slide real quick? All right. And then for the third slide, I think you want to yeah. talk a little more about this, but just as a church, we want to give an update on our tithing last year. So the giving that we do um, corporately as a church. And so thank you, David. Walk us so, um, no, that's good, just like that. Um, hey, can we just thank Zach real quick for that? Um, uh, Zach does a ton, a ton of work to try to make this as, as kind of precisely understandable as possible for us. And just if I, if I can just reiterate, February will be a very, very important month as it relates to tithes and offerings because it will give us a sense of what the budget for the rest of the year will look like. So if we're operating by our conservative budget, it's going to be a very lean year as it relates to ministry expenses. If we're able to add some things uh, in, it'll be sort of depending on how our finances look in February. I really want you to see this. Uh, as we challenge you to be generous in your giving, it's important that you know that the church is kind of together. We challenge ourselves that way as well. So I don't know sort of where you are when, when you tithe, sort of what percentage of your income you think about tithing. We say as a church that 10% is a biblical tithe, and it's a great conversation starter. It's a great way to sort of evaluate your own finances and say, is this you know, how, how am I doing as it relates to, to, to generosity? And for some people, 10% would be aspirational. For some people, 10% would be very easy and, and would need to kind of push beyond that in order to, to be giving sacrificially. It's a great conversation starter. I want you to see that as a church, we tithe about 13%. About 13% of your tithes and offerings that come in, we give away. And that goes in a few, to a few different places, kind of starting from the bottom up. We tithe back to our sending church in Logan Square because they were so financially generous to us. Uh, we hope and pray for future opportunities for mission in the future. We have local missionaries, members of our church, who have to raise uh, their, uh, their own funding. Um, and we love them. We support them. We're really excited about the work that they're doing. So we want to support them on that. We're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. That's our denomination. And that denomination is divided up into a, a regional conference and then the denomination as a whole. And we tithe back to them as well. The conference tithe, a large chunk of that goes to church planting efforts in our region. So, for example, next week I am flying to New York with uh, a guy, David Washington, who will be planting a church on uh, the south side of Chicago in Roseland. David grew up in Roseland. He was a, a well-known gang leader in Roseland, had a powerful encounter with Christ about 15 years ago, has gone on to, to seminary, um, brilliant, way smarter than me, and, uh, and he and his wife and family have been called to plant a church in Roseland. They're doing amazing ministry. Part of, of our giving back to our conference directly helps that new church in Roseland get started. That's good, right? That's really, really good. So we get to be a part of that. And then in our denominational tithe, uh, that, that goes back to our denomination and helps with a lot of different things, including uh, overseas missions. So half of that uh, number that you see for the ECC tithe goes to uh, one particular family, the Delps, who are from this area, who are working in Ecuador. You you've probably have met them. They've been around before. And they're doing really good work in Ecuador uh, with a local congregation there starting a, a, a health clinic in an area of the country that doesn't have uh, ready access to medical attention. Uh, so they're doing really good work, and it's, it's kind of fun for us to get to participate with them in that. So does this make sense, church, that when you give to this church, we are, we're setting aside at this point 13% of that, and we're giving it away. 
So I, I need you to see that and to know that. Because even as we talk about things being tight and kind of challenging ourselves, we, we want to continue to be very generous and to corporately reflect what we are calling each of us to do individually. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's exciting. Uh, and again, I just, God did some amazing things through your generosity at the end of 2014. Just really, really good stuff. And I thank you for being a part of that. Okay, a next thing for us to pay attention to, community presence. So this gets to, to the sermon just a little bit. How are we doing at being present to our neighbors in Bronzeville? How are we doing at getting to know our neighbors and prioritizing that? Some of the things uh, that we uh, have been doing as a church, our fifth Sunday service project, those, those months that have five Sundays, the fifth Sunday we kind of give away. We sort of tithe that as it relates to service uh, in, our, in our neighborhood, in our community. Uh, we've been doing this now for, I don't know, Doug, Jeannie, about how long? Has it been a year? I guess we did it all of last year, right? And then I think maybe one Sunday the year before. So we've got some good momentum here, some traction um, and, and I don't need to go real in, into depth about this. I think our next one is in March. I'm pretty sure the fifth Sunday of March. And uh, we'll probably be doing work with Jackie Robinson on that Sunday. So, again, a really good way to be present in the neighborhood for a few hours and get, to get a sense of what God is doing. I want to talk to you for a second about the Bronzeville Dream Center. Has, has anybody heard me talk about this at all? Can you just raise your hand? Oh, 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 good, okay. I said more about it than I remember saying about it. I'm be pretty brief here. I get to be a part of a group of leaders in Bronzeville who are working toward um, uh, an initiative that's addressing trauma prevention and trauma intervention. So these are kind of the two key pieces here. And we've partnered uh, with uh, University of Chicago Medicine, Northwestern uh, Hospital. They have both chipped in $250,000 for this initiative. Uh, we are also partnering with um, the United Way of Chicago. They're providing all the financial oversight for this, uh, for this program. Um, we have uh, the mayor uh, on board. Uh, we met with the superintendent of police. He's on board. Uh, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools, Barbara Bird Bennett. Uh, so there's a lot of really good momentum around this initiative of how do we address trauma in our neighborhoods. Um, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of PTSD uh, in our city. And it's generally unaddressed. It's generally kind of swept under the, the rug. And, uh, and so we're trying to find creative, uh, uh, innovative new ways of, of preventing and intervening in traumatic situations. Uh, I can tell you more about this uh, in person. We're still trying to figure out sort of what role does our church in particular have to play around this. But I want to share one way that I think uh, our church will engage with this. The part of this initiative that I'm most involved with is the trauma uh, prevention side of things. We're working with the University of Washington and a not-for-profit that's based out of there uh, to do a, a kind of 360 holistic assessment of where the traumatic events happen in our neighborhood. What are the sources of trauma? The way we're getting this information is by doing surveys in Chicago public schools and all the high schools and the middle schools in the Bronzeville areas. And we have uh, the participation of the CPS district chief for this area who's going to make sure that that's going to happen. So we'll be drawing from information from children and youth about where trauma happens in their lives and in their neighborhoods. After we've kind of filtered that information, very smart people who know how to do that sort of stuff with data, we're going to identify where the sources of trauma are in the Bronzeville community, and then we're going to identify who's addressing those things already what churches, what neighborhood organizations, what social services organizations are doing a really good job addressing those traumatic factors, and how can we resource them? How can we network them? Then, and only then, we're going to ask, where are the gaps? Where are the holes in, in trauma prevention in our neighborhood? Right? 
So we expect that there will be some areas where we need new programs, new ministries, new partnerships to step in to fill these gaps so that there really is a holistic 360-degree approach to preventing uh, traumatic events. Am I making sense? Are you with me so far? I think that's where our church comes in. Part of our strategic plan in 2015 is to begin identifying and implementing long-term justice initiatives in Bronzeville. Could it be that as we have access to this very specific information about where the gaps are in our neighborhood, that God may call us to stand in one of those gaps? Could that, is that a possibility? I don't know. We'll find out, though. And so I, I need you to know that because I think there'll be uh, some times in the coming months where I'll need to update you and invite your participation in that. Some of you right now are thinking like, oh, this is interesting, this is exciting. Find me afterwards, let me know, and I'll keep you more in the loop. Bronzeville Dream Center. Uh, we're praying for our teachers. Um, I maybe should have included this in prayer, but I, I think about the teachers who feel called to Bronzeville or the South Side. Every one of those teachers in our church has a prayer partner. You're getting prayed for on a regular basis. I hear from, I, one teacher told me, I get a text every single morning from my prayer partner. That's not to make other prayer partners feel guilty. I'm just, but this person said, I get a text every single morning from my prayer, and it's made all the difference for me this year. Because like most of our teachers, this person is teaching in a challenging environment and has all sorts of reasons to be discouraged on a regular basis. And this person said, every morning I get a text saying, I am praying for you today. What can I lift up for you today? Can you, can you just imagine for a second how much more likely it is that that teacher continues to say yes to God's call in a very challenging environment when they have that sort of prayer support and covering? I think it's a game changer. I really do. I really do. Uh, So we're praying for our teachers. Uh, I've mentioned Jackie Robinson uh, already. I need to send the sign-up list around again. We did this last week. If you were not here last week, um, let's see. And who, Rodney, can you find this at the end of the service, please? I'd like this to end up at Rodney in the back corner there at the end. Marvin, if you can just start this around. If you were not here last week and you want uh, information about volunteering at Jackie Robinson, please give us your name. We had almost 40 of you sign up last week for that, which is amazing. Um, so we're, we're looking for people who are able to, to, to volunteer at that school throughout the week. Uh, the other piece of Jackie Robinson is that we will be doing their back-to-school fair um, later this summer, probably in August. Um, this is going to be a lot of work, you guys. Uh, this is not something that like, oh, yeah, David and Adit and Pastor Michelle can pull off. Like, no. It's going to be all of us. We're going to need all of us to do this. Um, We're going to do our best to put significant uh, financial resources behind this. We want this to be a chance for the neighborhood to learn about Jackie Robinson, to be proud of Jackie Robinson. We want this to be a fun event. There'll probably be some giveaways on that day. We're going to need some people who are good at marketing to get the word out because that's something that the school has really, really struggled with. I'm I'm going to, like, challenge some of you to, like, literally take take a day off so that you can help us uh, implement this and pull this off. Um, So we'll let you know more about that as it it comes up. Um, And then let me talk about kids and youth. So just two more, kids and youth and then hospitality. Um, Part of our strategic plan this year is that we want to grow in our capacity and effectiveness at reaching children and young people. Here's Here's kind of a shorthand. How will we know if this is happening? I desire that New Community Covenant Church becomes known as the church in the neighborhood that deeply cares for kids and youth. So so even if a person has never been to new community, the reputation will be out that that is the church that really sees the children of our neighborhood. That's the church that really understands what our young people are facing, and they're actually showing up. 
Does that make sense? That, that's how I, I think we'll know if we're being faithful to what God has called us to here. So um, um, we've got Erin uh, Mulholland, who is leading our Kid City ministry now. She's doing a really good job of kind of rethinking that. We're implementing a new curriculum starting next week. They've recruited a whole lot uh, more volunteers for that. We want uh, uh, visitors, guests, to walk back to Kid City who have kids and go, whoa, oh, oh, you thought about me. You thought about my kids. This is a place that I would feel safe and excited to bring my kids for their own spiritual formation to. So you'll be hearing more about Kid City. You'll also be hearing more about our youth ministry. We've got a great partnership with Young Life, with Kalia. Um, uh, uh, a bunch of youth will be gathering here after our service uh, today uh, for a discipleship program. And this is not fluffy stuff. Go, they go deep. I mean, they're, uh, they're going to be discussing uh, abuse today and, and sort of what that experience is like and how that's impacted them and how God wants to heal and deliver uh, young people who have experienced abuse. So this, like, they go deep, and that's amazing, and we want to continue to support that relationship. We're going to need to identify a youth leader for our church to help lead our efforts in 2015 as we continue to partner with Young Life. So you'll hear more about that as well. But, but, but would you pray with me that new community would become, because of our faithfulness, known as the church that loves, 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 and cares for the children and the youth of our neighborhood. Would you do that? Last thing, hospitality. Um, Pastor Michelle talked about the hospitality training on March 7th, the, uh, the, the first impressions training, and I do hope that you will uh, join us at that. I want to say one, this is going to seem a little maybe random to you. Um, we, we've been, as a church for the past two years, our, our average attendance is about 70 people. Um, and I'm super thankful for that. Because uh, I, I remember <laughs> when it was like, you know, a few of us praying in Michelle and Carlos's house. And so to see those who God has brought over the years and to watch this church just grow in so many different, what I would say are very holistic, healthy sorts of ways, I just am, I, I, there's no end to my thanks, thankfulness and, and contentment about that. Uh, however, I just, I got interested in this 70 number. Like, why, why do we just sort of hover around 70 and so kind of I've, I've poked around and looked into this, and there's smart people out there who think about this sort of things um, as it relates to groups and, and, and sort of how groups grow and shrink and those, some of those dynamics. Uh, and it, it ends up that 70 uh, often ends up being sort of a plateau uh, a number for different groups and organizations, including churches. Anybody know why that might be? Anybody have any idea? It was, it was surprising to me. Anybody have any idea? I've told some of you, so you can't, you know, you can't. So here's, here's what sociologists will say. After a group gets, uh, gets to 70, people in that group are aware that if it grows much past 70, the dynamic will change. And one of the ways it will change is that it's much harder to just to sort of know everybody in the group. You can kind of know about 70 people. You can sort of know names and faces and follow up with people. But after a group gets much bigger than 70 people, that gets harder to do, the dynamic shifts. And so there's sort of a, an internal uh, sabotage, <laughs> to be dramatic about it. It's not intentional. Nobody's saying like, oh, we should just like, no, you're not allowed to come here. But there's just sort of this internal dynamic because we, we like being known, right? And we love that sense of family and community. So there's an internal thing, dynamic, that can happen in a group that's about the size that our church is. Uh, hopefully you know me well enough to know that I'm really disinterested in growth for the sake of growth. 
And I think you know that about our leaders as well. When we think about growth, we, we have a pretty holistic way of talking about what growth looks like as a church. Uh, however, as we are encountering, even in texts like today, one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's work and presence in a church is that it is constantly gathering and welcoming new people into itself. Amen? So again, not growth for the sake of growth, but a kind of radical hospitality that demonstrates something very important about the character of God. Does that make sense? Make sense? So that's, that's just kind of, I'm just putting that out there. I don't have like a strategy. I don't, I don't really like to think about things like numbers very much at all. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying this out loud to you. I think this is a thing that's probably true for us. And I think this year, as we engage more intentionally in discipleship and evangelism, we're also, as individuals, going to have to sort of wrestle with what does it look like for me to show up on Sunday and, yes, to be glad to see that person who I know and love and be very on the lookout for the person who's walking in the door going, am I welcomed here or not? Because do you know how long we have for that guest who walks in the door? About 90 seconds. That's what smart people will say about when you walk into a room where you don't know anybody. There's about 90 seconds before you sort of make an internal judgment, I'm welcomed here or I'm not. This is a safe place for me or this is not a safe place for me. Am I making sense? So this is why we want to be very, very intentional about this. Again, it has nothing to do with needing lots and lots of people coming to New Community Covenant Church. No, we want to be very, very faithful at bearing witness to God and to showing in our actions that there is a God who will go to every possible length to welcome those who feel a long ways away from God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So are you with me on that? Amen. Okay. So if any of you have any interesting thoughts about this, let me know. That's sort of the end of my intelligence about this sort of stuff. Um, so I'm open to questions. Come find me. If you have any questions whatsoever about the stuff that we talked about, would love to engage with you more about this. Uh, take time in your CGs to dig into some of this as well. Um, and, and, and just, you know, with me, if you can, reflect on what is God doing? How are we doing as a church at being the sort of people who we can uh, intentionally and, uh, and, and, and holistically gather with and for the good of our neighbors. So God, thank you again for gathering us. Thanks that the reason we're here today is that someone at some point welcomed us into your presence. Uh, And we want to be the sorts of people who do that for others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.